Welcome back to Check Engine Night. I'm your host, Eric. This is John with Black Thumb. Today is episode one, The Phantom Menace. Uh, uh yeah. Crickets. Episode one, Scorn on the Cob. I'm really proud of that title. It took what, me a what was that title again? Scorn on the Cob. That's <laughs> Cob with C-O-B-B. I, I wish I was as clever as you are, but alas, I am not. <laughs> that That's better than anything I can John come up with. John is clever, guys. John is very clever. His puns are good, too. We just haven't heard enough of them. I'm inviting John to share some of his knowledge as a tuner himself, a homebrew tuner, a very successful homebrew tuner, to share his insights and kind of his story on what's what's kind of hit the, the tuning scene the last couple of weeks, the fears circling Cobb, uh, a popular tuning solution, clamping down on some of their technology due to EPA restrictions and their, their plans to comply with e- EPA restrictions moving forward. So um, how did we get here, John? Well, you said I, I'm a tuner. I am a tuner <laughs> in the way that we all are, but I am not a professional tuner. And uh, <laughs> even saying I'm very successful is very generous, so thank you. Um but yes, I do all my own tuning. I do everything that I can on my own, including tuning and wiring. So I, I'd like to think that I have a good, a good, uh, you know, take on what's been going on with those whole Cobb EPA controversy. And it's pretty unique because um, in the past, the EPA, as far as I know, haven't really done too many crazy things outside of the state of California about um, tuners as in like the tuner culture, right? Not just pro tuners who like slap your car in the dyno and, and push buttons on laptops, but tuning in general. Um, and now uh, they, they've and Cobb's known that this, this is going to happen for a while, right? But the EPA's finally came down on them and said, "You got, you guys got to make some changes." Um, I, I will preface this by saying that I am by far not the biggest Cobb fan. Uh, <laughs> their products were the first ones that I ever used whenever I got into cars, and especially whenever I got into tuning. I had a 2014 WRX, and I bought an access port. And I was like, man, how's this thing work? Uh, but back in the day, you could download the Access Tuner software and modify tunes right on your home PC just because you had the access port, which was really cool. And then they uh, they decided to take that feature away uh, under the guise of them saying, oh, it's because tune- people are blowing their cars up because they don't know how to tune. But, oh, all you have to do to get it back <laughs> is pay us for classes on how to tune. Oh, how mighty convenient. Uh, which is when I just uh, wow. I, I ditched Cobb altogether. Uh, so I, I'm a little salty about that, and I will. Re- and people who are hearing this are like, "Man, that was like five years ago." I'm still mad. <laughs> He's not over it, guys. <laughs> and I won't be over it. Um, That's news but, to me. Uh, yes, that that was something that happened a while ago. But I I I, I will reassure you by saying. I'm sure Cobb does not want to do this <laughs> and that they just don't have a choice. And I'm sure that they also have known that this is coming for a while and they, they've had a plan for this all along. Unfortunately, it's not like it's a good plan, but that's not really in their control. So, and just a, a little word on why the EPA cares so much, right? Cobb is making money off of defeating emission systems. That's not right. their business model by any means. Right. And that might've been some kind of effect of them being available that's what's turned into they've become that monster so to speak uh that's the epa labels them as selling defeat devices which is a hilariously outdated term from Mm. way back yonder when 
because uh, there's no device really involved other than the access port. And it's not like that's its intended purpose, but it is a feature, some would even say a necessary feature of building performance cars. But today we're just going to talk a little bit about what's going on with Cobb, why this is happening, and mo most importantly, uh, you know, what, uh, what the alternatives are and what people should maybe be looking into. So I know there's a lot of people out there that as soon as they saw this, Access Force went right up on eBay. For a lot of them, that may not even be necessary, although I understand why. Uh, but there's also for the, those who it is necessary, yeah, there's alternatives and they should certainly look into them because depending on your use case, you may find equal or better support for your mods or for your situation that you didn't even know was out there. Uh, and all it takes is just a little bit of research or in this case, listening to our wonderful podcast. Aren't you glad you listened in today, folks? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Eric, you, you read an article about yeah, this whole yeah. Cobb when, controversy. When well, you brought this up, it was, it? it was news to me. So I did a quick look on the Internet. The Drive did publish a great article that kind of gives you the, the gist of the story. Basically, people are, like you said, people are in fear. People are starting to second-guess their investment in Cobb hardware. What stood out to me mainly was some of the flex fuel solutions that are that are pretty new, and they've been pretty clear that Cobb isn't going to support them after a certain date moving forward, which means people that had made this investment are afraid that it's going to be in vain. I think that's one of the big the big points that stood out. They're going to lose flex fuel functionality, and as we know, gas prices aren't going down, and E85 is the coolest way to make horsepower. Literally. <laughs> Literally, it is cool. It's actually yeah, cool. It's, yeah, it's good stuff. Higher volume through your engine, guys. Yeah, and that article did sum it up pretty well. Uh, there were some exaggerations in it that we'll touch yes. on. Yes, yes, there were. Um, but in general, for the for or rather maybe just a, a generalization that was exaggerated, a few of them. But let's start with, with what's going on with Cobb and what's actually going to change for those of you who have their hardware. I'm sure most of you have read it, but the, the big things are E85 is no more for now, and we'll get to that, and also that they can't basically defeat emissions devices. And I think the two biggest emissions devices that they defeat today are uh, TGVs, which is, you know, okay, but also the rear O2 sensor on most cars or rather the catalytic converter monitoring sensor is what it does and we'll start with that one because that one's more interesting to me <laughs> um a lot of people don't know the purpose of the rear o2 sensor they just know that there's two and they both need to be there or else they get a code uh, <laughs> and this is super specific but most cars function in the same way no, nobody really does anything too terribly unique unless you get into real new cars but there's two o2 sensors the upstream o2 and the downstream or the front and the rear or o2 sensor one and o2 sensor two whatever you want to call it post cat would that be fair yep. yeah that's they're, they're, every manufacturer puts a different label on it but they all serve serve similar functions the front o2 sensor is is the mad dog that does everything right that one whenever your car is running if it's running lean that thing sniffs it and then fixes it by uh, by adding some more fuel. So the ECU can see that that sensor is reading lean, but it knows it's not supposed to be. So it will add a little more fuel as it's running. This is called a closed loop operation. So closed loop is whenever you can make a change and detect if your change was good or bad. That's all it is. Um, the rear O2 sensor, its basic whole purpose in life is to make sure the catalytic converter is working properly. And that's essentially a government regulation, because trust me, they don't want to pay for that. They don't want to pay for a cat if they didn't have to. Extra hardware. Yes. And that is why the EPA has gotten involved. So 
whenever we do performance modifications, though, in general, we will the good guys will swap a, a, a high flow cat in there, or the bad guys like me will just <laughs> maybe forget to put that back in or and not drive it on the street, <laughs> right? Because that right. would be illegal. Right. Off road use only, please. Yes, of course. Now. Whenever we do that, though, the factory ECU is going to go bananas and throw a bunch of codes and disable my cruise control. Cobb, however, for off-road use only, I assume, has a way in their software to just maybe turn those codes off, disable them so that whenever the O2 sensor is reading bad or it's not even present, the rear O2 sensor, I should say, mm -hmm. whenever it's reading bad values or if it's not even present, they just mm -hmm. uh, disable it entirely which is valuable for us as tuners. That's something we need because even with a high flow cat, it's not necessarily unheard of for the rear O2 sensor to be like, yep, it's unhealthy. No, it's just a high flow cat and maybe you're not in the direct stream that you used to be in. So you need to be recalibrated and calibrating a rear O2 is just awful. It's, you know, not even worth it. So it, most softwares don't even support it. They're just like, ah, I killed the code. So Got that's it. why uh, we're going to see the veritable P0420 return to the scene. So... Uh -huh. Anybody who is experienced with that is having flashbacks right now because it's just a nightmare. <laughs> so just ask maybe a dumb question, but certainly one I'd like to iron out in my head. Removing the cat is strictly a flow issue? Not necessarily. If you want to increase, you want to increase how well the exhaust breeze, removing the cat is necessary for bigger power. You know, once you hit that threshold of power and, and therefore having a secondary O2 the issue is that there's no cat to change yeah. the, the exhaust gases in a way that would satisfy the O2 sensor. Is That's that, correct. Does that sum it up at all? Okay. Now, there's different reasons for removing our cats. Uh, the main one is probably flow, but also for noise. Uh, cats usually get rid of your big boy burbles. Ah. Uh, and also things that are really violent, like anti-lag and the anti-lag style of two-step, right? Because there's this... The really wimpy two-step that you know most uh, access port users are going to know, where you floor it while holding the clutch, and it goes rum, rum, rum. Oh right! And then there's uh, which is that's just a soft rev limiter, which is fine. <laughs> but then there's real two-step, which is where you post ignite and shoot flames yeah. through your turbo to make that baby spool up. Well, the, those flames are going to hit your catalytic converter and turn it into a melted mess, and nobody oh. wants that. So you just got to get that bad boy out of there. Yeah, and I I think I did come across it one. Uh, when I was looking into high flow downpipes for one of my vehicles, just heat evacuation is an issue. When you're when you have oh, yeah. all that extra mass that close to the downpipe or part of the downpipe, getting heat away from the engine for performance reasons is is a factor as well. Is that true? Yeah, um, the catalytic like converter itself can 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 all overheat and turn into a, a metal blob. You know, for performance applications, unless, and that's not to say you shouldn't get a high flow cat. Many of you listening, yeah, go get a high flow cat. They're not cheap, but uh, if, the, if this is your solution to get that code to go away, by all means, you are probably going to be fine. But if any of those things that I brought up, like burbles or anti lag or high flow, are really what you care about, like if, if a high flow cat can't flow enough exhaust, then, you know, you're going to have a code or you have to go with one of the other alternatives that we'll talk about in a bit. But, but that's the purpose of the rear O2, right? I think we've got a good handle of that. Thank you. Um, of course. Now there's the TGVs. Uh, this is a Subaru-specific thing. I don't know if any other manufacturers have it. I mostly have experience with Subarus, so we'll talk about that. because This is going to be a lot of Subaru guys who are going to want to hear about this. For those of you that don't know, a TGV or a tumble generator valve 
if you think about how your intake looks and how the injector is bolted to the intake manifold right at you know right at the exhaust port there's basically a butterfly valve much like a throttle plate that goes right before the injector and the, the you know where the head is with the intake port and it can it can't actually kill off flow like you know it can't close all the way like a throttle bo uh, throttle body can or a throttle plate can it can however close enough to cause a restriction and create tumble in the airflow so think as if you were using a garden hose and you put your thumb over the end it causes a violent outspray of water well they do the same thing with the air inside your intake manifold ah. and that air will spray onto the fuel stream coming out of the injector which mixes it a lot better it gets that atomization to be a lot better uh, then that air intake or that air fuel mixture makes it into the engine and kaboom and you get a much cleaner burn which means you get better mileage and probably most importantly for regulators you get less unburnt fuel and thus i believe hydrocarbons coming out of the exhaust port less free uh, which, radicals yeah <laughs> i don't know well and you should <laughs> to and, make it like a health, health term free radicals Le less bad boys coming out of your exhaust pipe yes now that fuel should hit the catalytic converter and get fully combusted so we we don't have any hydrocarbons coming out but you know catalytic converters aren't perfect so we want to minimize that chance but also a side effect is you'll usually get better mileage better fuel economy under startup under low load situations so usually during cruise uh and idling of course but under power well people usually delete the tgvs whenever you're doing a performance build because at the end of the day those are throttle bodies you know even if they're mm -hmm. wide open it's still in the middle of that intake stream which can be a restriction it's a restrictor plate of sorts yeah well just even the diameter of that the yeah. diameter when it's wide open even that circle if you want to go past that you're you have to take them out you've got a rod in a little flap of metal that may be flush with the airflow but that rod's still in there and there's still yeah. another bit of metal and it's you know most people just delete them and it's not a terribly tough thing to do a lot of people listening to this again it's uh the reason they delete it probably isn't because of performance or maybe their tuner will tell them that is but a lot of the time uh they're not making enough power to justify deleting them and it's actually just a convenience thing um because it looks a lot cleaner and mm. they're just a, a kind of a pain to work around in such a tight environment in there but so it's easier to get them out of there uh however the epa has different ideas so mm. those are back in the picture now too so we got the p0420 the tgvs and uh, th that's where the E85 stuff comes in. So we'll move on to the E85 stuff with Cobb now. From what I understand, the EPA actually doesn't care that they run flex fuel. Like, that's totally okay. The problem is with E85, or at least Cobb's solution for E85, um, they need the TGVs to be gone. Now, why is that? Uh, the TGVs themselves have an output, so something that the, your ECU drives, and an input, so that they can sense the position mm. of the TGV. Again, closed loop, so it'll the the ECU will change that output wire, and it'll pulse it a little bit differently. Okay. And those valves will open or close a bit, but it doesn't know how much it opened or closed. So they have a little sensor on the TGV as well that goes back to the ECU to say, yeah, it's fifty percent open, and the ECU will go, well, it's supposed to be seventy-five, so give her some more got beans. Got it, got it. That so way they don't have another to another closed about loop scenario. It's just a feedback. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Now, if the TGVs are deleted, though, that means we got a spare line for a sensor. Because the ECUs are designed for factory configuration, so we can't just magically add a spare sensor wire to the ECU. But if we delete TGVs, well, that sensor wire is not doing anything anymore. Right. And we're talking strictly the advantage of Cobb is you can keep your factory ECU present and, yeah. make, and make the software modifications, hijack an input from a, a TGV, 
and voila, you've got an input for your flex fuel sensor. Correct. So they hijack that TGV sensor and they hack up the software a bit so that instead of it being sensed for TGV stuff, uh, you cut that TGV sensor off, you plug in a flex fuel sensor, their little kit, which probably has a special adapter for this, and then they can hack up the software to interpret that as a flex fuel input and adjust your timing and your fueling accordingly, which is really, uh, that's a clever way to do it. Unfortunately, with the return of TGVs, though, that means that, that ping, we need that sensor back. Mm-hmm. So they can't very well supply you the E85 signal or the flex fuel composition sensor signal to the ECU anymore. I don't, and this is a personal opinion here, I don't think Cobb's going to let that go. Like, they've put a lot of <laughs> R&D into making E85 work on factory ECUs, which is a big deal. Like, that's actually quite tough to do uh, from, like, a, a programming or rather a software hacking perspective. It's very uh, resourceful. Yes, it is. And they did a good job, too, because it, it just works. Uh, very cool. However, uh, now with the TGVs gone, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and try and maybe remove something else from the factory ECU to hijack its input, which is a tall order because a lot of the things that the ECU is sensing are required, right? Um, there's a very comparatively small number of like emissions-related sensors that you can just you know axe off and be like, ah, we don't need those especially whenever you've got the EPA breathing down your, your neck. <laughs> Uncle Sam will not have it. <laughs> Eventually you got to pay the piper. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's, that's about where we'll leave the Cobb stuff at. So that's where we're at. How can we improve our situation? Um, where do we go from there... here? As, as mentioned, not to interject, but as mentioned in the article... They're hinting that some people believe they have to go full standalone. And one of my favorite lines from the article was like uh, where they mentioned and going full standalone could cost $5,000 minimum. <laughs> that's a real possibility, <laughs> but that's not the only option. Okay. Let's let's talk about the well let's compare those two, standalones and flash tuning, which is what the Cobb solution is. It is what's called a flash tune. And there's other flash tuning solutions out there like HP tuners, EFI live and uprev and a whole bunch of them, right? Usually they focus on their own specific set of manufacturers ECUs that they've that they've worked with. Why is that? Why can't one guy just reverse or uh, tune every ECU? Um, so what's the reason there? And that's because Cobb or HP tuners or any of them, um, it's a significant effort to support a specific car's ECU. So like most of the Subaru ECUs are kind of very similar. So you can get maybe a rough handle on, on Subaru as a whole. GMs are kind of the same. Ford's kind of all over the place. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, the way that they do it is, and we're going to change gears into like a computer scenario, the way these guys tap into the ECUs and retune them is very similar to how software security dudes reverse engineer viruses for computers. It is very similar because the way that you write programs on a computer, you guys have seen like the memes or or hacking movies of guys typing on a keyboard and code pops up. It's like if then, and it's a bunch of curly yeah. braces. There's words. And yeah, can... whenever it gets into your ECU, there's no letters. There's no more words. So that stuff that looked foreign to you is significantly more foreign, even more so. It's just it's bytes. It's zeros up, and ones. Straight up Matrix 1 when um, he's showing Neo lines of code and he can see a woman in a red dress. Yeah, it's That's essentially that. Does. They're just looking they're looking for a corn cob inside there to add the E85. It's basically uh, that. Yes. So 
uh, for them to convert those ones and zeros into something that means anything to humans is a big deal. So like trying to convert those ones and zeros in that mess, much like a guy who's trying to reverse engineer a virus is trying to figure out how it works. They're trying to figure out how your ECU software works. It's called firmware, the firmware that runs on the ECU. We've all updated firmware on our phones or on our like smart doorbells. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, to reverse engineer actual firmware is a is a pretty tall order and takes a lot of time. Uh, so, and I want to point this out too, reverse engineering it so you can make small changes like changing your fuel table to add more fuel or maybe convert a naturally aspirated car to boost so you can add some boost columns or change the existing columns up. Mm-hmm. If that's foreign speak, that's okay. Just know that that's, that's already pretty tough. But to add a new feature like E85 is even more difficult. So working with factory ECUs is very, it's rough. Um, so it takes a lot of investment of like reverse engineered dude's time and thus money to support a new car. But that's how they do it. They have to reverse engineer the software on the ECU and then they have to figure out a way to pull it off the ECU in an easy enough way so some dude out in the middle of nowhere who has a dyno and a laptop can tune your mm. car. So they have to first, and, and these uh, these ones and zeros, they have to figure out what each, what each byte that one or zero means, right? Uh or a series of eight ones and zeros, really. But anyway, they have to figure out what that means. Uh, everything can mean anything different. So what they essentially do is create a map of your ECU's firmware. That's where that term in ECU map comes from. Everybody loads different maps. Really, you're loading fresh firmware into your ECU. Base map. That's been reverse engineered. Yes, that's been <laughs> reverse engineered so that you can just barely edit it. There's so much more going on under the hood, but even like the stuff that we can change is a very small fraction of how an ECU actually works. And you know what we can change is, with a lot of these uh, tuner cars, uh, pretty significant. We can get into a lot of stuff nowadays, uh, including turning off codes, which is a pretty valuable thing. Now, we've already talked about how it's valuable because you don't have to change out your stock ECU. Just about everything will still work in the car, and you just have to plug a laptop into it and do a tune. There are limitations to it though. For example, Eric, you have a car that isn't a traditional tuner car, don't yes. you? Yes, yes I do. It's a General Motors vehicle, but it's not running a popular General Motors engine. I have a, it's called the High Feature V6 single turbo engine. It's in some Cadillacs and it's in my Saab 9.3 Turbo X. And I purchased HP tuners hoping to, um, you know, as shady as it sounds, to sidestep some emissions issues I was having. I was having some electrical problems with my EVAP system and the amount of time and money I was spending trying to figure it out warranted spending the money on an HP tuners device because one of my buddies who runs an LS engine in his Corvette said, oh yeah, all all you do is hook it up, pay for the credits and turn off these readiness indicators or, or leave them locked on, so to speak. And I pass with flying colors, even if I have no cat, no O2 sensor, no EVAP, you know, EGR delete, no problem. So I, I figured that'd be a great idea, and I spent the money, I spent the credits, and nope, wasn't a feature on my engine. <laughs> and right. to make matters worse, legitimately, I, I justified this purchase thinking, well, down the road, I can play around with tuning, I can write some maps for this vehicle. The reverse engineering, as you described, of the firmware for my particular ECU, for my particular engine, is very limited. I think um, injector duration, um, you can change like the speedometer readings, I think, (laughs) 
something like that, like wheel speed, I believe. Very, very simple changes can be made. Not full-on maps. You can't change boost pressure. Can't change fueling, no yeah. ignition timing. Oh, dear. I don't think you can change ignition timing. I do think you can change the... Uh, it has a variable intake cam angle, I believe. I think you can change that a little bit, like expected. You know, like There's a map for that, oh. but that's... That's something I, I, that's probably already pretty optimized. That's something I wouldn't be excited to mess with at first. You know, I really wanted to mess with boost. I really wanted to mess with AFR, and that's not just not there. So, right, yeah, that's a great example of a, a, a limitation. You know, platform to platform. <laughs> right. So not every factory ECU is supported. Uh, the, though the ones that are supported, they'll get most guys by. Right, and your tuner will usually know if your car is supported or not. In my history, the reason that I got into tuning with standalones is because my 2000 Impreza RS, I've built a, a handful of those of you, as you know, and a good number of them. Uh, the factory ECU is, up until recently, not tunable, and even now it's just not worth tuning. Uh, there's not a whole lot of support for it. So that's one thing, is that unpopular cars generally aren't supported. You don't typically get to tune unpopular cars, depending on what ECU is in it. Some ECUs, though, like, for example, not a lot of people are out here tuning uh, <laughs> Subaru Legacy Wagons, uh, but that ECU is very similar <laughs> to the one in, like, the WRX or in the Legacy GT and stuff. So it is kind of supported on a lot of these, and you can get away with tuning it, which is uh, a lot of fun. You know, maybe some, somebody has a Legacy GT or um, uh, a standard just naturally aspirated automatic Legacy 2.5 single jingle. Maybe their catalytic converter is blown, and maybe you could turn the code off for them. Who knows? I would never, unless it's for off-road use, yes, to be clear. that's correct. Because that would be illegal and against the law, and I, of course, yes. So We never, ever ride dirty. No, no, I'm riding as clean as possible. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, so that's another limitation. And as far as tuning actually goes, whenever you're tuning... Uh, factory ECU, you don't, you normally, you, you would do a run on the dyno, make the changes to the table, kill the car, turn yes. it on, flash the firmware. That takes a lot of time. Kill the car again, turn it on, do another run, do rinse lather repeats. Yes. Yep. Compare the you log. You'll do a run a for a log. Ugh. It's, it's a dance and you know, it's fine. Uh, because in general, most of the guys with factory ECUs aren't pushing anything too crazy. And the more you do that, you can basically predict what the map's going to look like after the first and second run. From what I understand, I don't really work with dinos or fa factory ECUs as much, but that's about how it goes. But it's still not a great tuning experience. And you're also limited by the ECU itself. Like, it's not meant to be tuned, so you can't get into its brain and see what it's really thinking if something goes wrong. And possibly the most or the biggest limitation for me is that it doesn't have great data logging it has adequate data logging for decent tuning but man whenever you really want to see if something's going wrong or you really want to see if you can make some improvements you're you're playing some guessing games with factory ecus which is fine for a lot of guys but if you're if you're really trying to goof around and play and learn how engines work a factory ecu may not be the way to start it's like having the a way... textbook for a course and a couple pages are missing and you still got to yes. take the exam. Or that maybe your professor will tell you how to do something, but not why you're doing it, right? Yeah, that's a great Just analogy. like, yep, he, maybe he's just giving you the answers to the quiz instead of uh, <laughs> instead of uh, actually telling you how to solve it yourself, which is a lot, a lot of what the factory ECU is doing, which, again, is adequate for some situations and not others. Now, there's the flip side to this that we've mentioned, standalones. And... Uh, 
you had said <laughs> the drive in the drive articles said it may cost up to five thousand yes. dollars to slap a standalone in a car correct i imagine it could be you could justify that number if you're going through a retail tuning shop no bff hookup that sounds yep. like it's possible i mean try to now, get, try to get your transmission replaced at a dealership for less than five thousand dollars on a newer vehicle oh yeah now John can do your transmission for $150 in two hours. If it's a Subaru from 2001 (laughs) until 2000, let's say 14. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I could, yeah. (laughs) We'll go down to the junkyard. We'll go get one from an old 95 Legacy that's been there for a year, and it'll run fine. Don't worry. Call me in a half hour. I'll let you know if I can do it. Yeah. I'll let you know when we're done taking it for the test drive. Okay. So, So, right. Those standalones, um, the $5,000 number, if you were to pay a shop to do literally everything, is pretty high, but that's, you know, I mean, that's like mid to high. That you, you could feasibly see that number if that includes the actual tune, them wiring it in, and then buying all the hardware and all the hours. Yeah, it's totally possible to see a $5,000 number. The good news is, is uh, you're not required to have them do everything. You can do a lot of this yourself. It does take some learning and, and uh, maybe some prior knowledge, but uh, it's if, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a solid chance you're well on your way to being able to do that. And you, you should consider that, but let, let's talk about why. So standalones are, are you take your factory ECU, you bin it, and you, you put in a standalone ECU, and it <laughs> replaces all the logic. Back in the day, there was something called a piggyback that worked similar to a standalone and that it was very customizable, but it relied on the factory ECU as well. But you don't really see those as much anymore, so we won't talk about them as much. Just know that those exist. And if somebody's... Episode. Yeah, I mean, and if somebody's trying to sell you one, maybe don't buy it. Um, <laughs> uh, unless you're you're really desperate. But you, in general, you know, just, just wait and get yourself either a flash tune for a factory ECU or a standalone replacement for your ECU. Um, to let, maybe we'll compare and contrast flash tuning your factory ECU, which again is the, what we just described, and to replacing it with your standalone. We talked earlier about how adding new features to a factory ECU like E85 or like flat shift or uh, two-step is kind of a big deal. It takes a lot of effort, but they, you know you can do it. Standalones, however, were written by a performance company, so it's not hard for them. They have that that source code. They have the magic stuff to be able to add whatever they want to their ECUs, and they do. Oh my gosh, they have so much, so many features. Um, just to name a few, because I've made a lot of shitbox Subarus with <laughs> junkyard parts, and they had every feature under the sun. Like, I roll up to a stoplight with rotational idle on because I couldn't get my idle valve to work because it was fried from the junkyard. It is an engine fire car. These things happen. But I didn't need the idle valve because I could turn on rotational idle like you hear rally cars doing with the check of a box. Oh, it cool. Had, it had anti-lag, uh, anti-lag no lift to shift, two-step with, like, the anti-lag variants with post-ignition, and rolling anti-lag, a lot of anti-lag, just my, I just don't care about turbos, I guess, or my <laughs> whole cars for the most part. Uh, flex fuel, of course, like E85, of course. But That's you can also do crazy, input. crazy things Boom. with the maps. Yeah, just a spare input. It's, it's right there, ready to go. 
uh, any race style feature or even like factory like yeah if you if you want you can use a rear o2 on these standalones like that's possible <laughs> some of them are even able to like set up readiness monitors so that they could technically pass but we won't get into that too much because I frankly just don't bother with it. <laughs> right. I kind of interrupted you there and you said something about maps. You can do crazy things with maps. Are you talking yes. about switching maps based on a flex fuel sensor? Different you could switch maps based on literally anything. You could switch maps based on how much maps weight is in the days. passenger seat. <laughs> that like, is it, great. It's up to you. If my girlfriend is in the passenger seat. Put it on a low boost map <laughs> yeah. or the high boost map, maybe. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, here's an example. My, my car is air water intercooled, right? Of uh, course, from eBay. Normally, we whenever we wire the pump, yes, from eBay. Thank you, Eric. Uh, normally, whenever we wire our air water intercooler pump up, we won't wire it right to the battery or else it'll run all the time. So what you might do is wire it to like an ignition switched positive line so that it'll only turn on whenever the key is on. But... I don't want to do that because what if I'm just chilling in the car vibing to some music? Because then the pump's going to run and maybe kill my battery. Mm. So I wired it up to a spare output on my standalone. And it only turns the pump on when the engine is running. Which is something only the ECU knows. There's no wire in your car that's only positive or right. turned on whenever. Accessory or ignition on is one thing. But this is actual yes. engine running. When the engine is running, yes. So all I had to do was set it up in the software, and it was trivial. It was the easiest thing. That is cool. That's very cool. So we, uh, another benefit. We also have benefits that most standalones don't have, such as engine protection, um, which is good for somebody like me who runs exclusively eBay parts, <laughs> like maybe an eBay fuel pressure regulator or <laughs> an eBay uh, wastegate. Because when those fail, which they will fail... <laughs> The ECU's there just to stop me from blowing my engine up because I'm I love blowing my engine up as much as the next guy, but I want it to be because of me doing something really spectacular and not because my fuel pressure regulator decided to lean the engine out like ooh. <laughs> so, uh, I have sensors wired into the to the standalone and uh, I've got a fuel pressure regu- or a fuel pressure sensor on the regulator so I can detect when fuel pressure goes haywire, uh, which it also uses to give me better AFRs. And I've also got like an oil pressure sensor, got the normal uh, manifold pressure sensor, and you can set up engine protection. So whenever things go haywire, you can tell tell it to do something. And in my case, it's uh, I have an electronic throttle body, so I have it limit my throttle opening to like twenty percent. That's cool. Um, so I, it just basically lets off for me, so I, I don't blow anything up. It, it's very nice because at one point I was ripping it down the interstate, and it uh, maybe. I didn't have the fuel gauge wired up right, and maybe I forgot to fill it with fuel, and maybe <laughs> fuel pressures happen, were dropping, and folks. I was leaning out, and I <laughs> I can't react fast enough to notice that I'm leaning out whenever I'm doing a, a very reasonable speed on the interstate that wasn't speeding, officer. So it killed it for me. So uh, yeah, the ECU protected me, and it does that all the time. It's always watching, and if something goes wrong, it will protect me. And to clear the protection, all you do is just turn the car off, turn it back on, which you can do while you're just kind of cruising down the road to get you to the nearest gas station. Now, is that a setting the uh, clear scenario? Like when well, we, when uh, would this clear? Is that something nope, you decide just, as you're setting up this customization? That's just part of the, uh, my ECU stock configuration. Is whenever you want to clear the clear the clear the engine protection uh, fault, you just kill the engine, or rather, you turn the key off, which turns off the ECU. 
turn it back on and it's that fault is stored as a past code so you can review it uh, later that's so cool but it's not going to keep you like in limp mode forever you don't have to pull out like the dealership's pda <laughs> to clear it you can clear like you know you use your laptop if you didn't want to restart the engine and that'll clear it but if you don't have your laptop with you yeah just turn the engine off turn it back on your these good. are awesome and, features yes that's just many uh, another one is that usually most of them uh they just do data logging internally so you don't need your access port plugged in to the obd port it just has its own onboard memory so when you blow it up doing rolling anti-lag on a back road <laughs> as a non-specific example maybe you can retrieve that data log and look through it to realize what happened which is pretty cool that is awesome um, and we talked about how like tuning a uh, uh, or flash tuning a car you got to like turn it off turn it on and do the dance uh, standalone ecus as soon as you type a number in the table for example it immediately goes live so you can do what's called like steady state tuning which yes. is a lot easier to tune and because it's easier to tune it's easier to learn on standalones are going to be better for learning and we'll talk about that as well we'll touch on that that is cool uh now let's talk about some downsides of standalones it's not all good the first obvious one is the price uh, i typically pay around 1500 bucks for my ecus uh, like I said, I, I, I've kind of given up playing with factory ECUs because once you go standalone, you just don't go back. There's just so many things <laughs> you can do with them that factory ECUs can't, and they're just so much easier to work with. That being said, for my for my junk cars, yeah, I'll put a flash tune on there if I have to. But for my like zippy cars, my fun cars, uh, I, I usually just go standalone and never look back. And the cool thing is, is and I'm, this is an aside, even if you like, if you pay for a lot for an ECU, you can get away with murder on the junkiest engines. Like I was making like 350 horsepower on a stock Subaru 2.2 short block with WRX heads. <laughs> I remember this build and talked about it last with episode. Like, yeah, it, it, with rolling anti-lag and no lift to shift, the thing was mental until it wasn't and it blew up on rolling anti-lag one day, but it's not like I didn't know that was gonna happen. I paid 300 bucks for the engine. Like <laughs> it was totally <laughs> worth it. Uh, and protection features, I you know they they saved me a lot of the time whenever I was goofing up, uh, or you can run E85 very easily. So yeah, you can get away with murder on E85, and you don't have to go through any complicated steps or pay a lot for the kit that Cobb offers because it is a pretty pricey, a pretty pricey option. Um, but again, the limitations. The obvious one is, is cost. You know, you're, you're going to pay a lot. So if you're a guy who's willing to learn how to do a bit of wiring, which isn't as complicated as you think it is, if you think that, oh, I'm not able to do the wiring, yes, you are. All right, you're not special. Anybody can do it. <laughs> Just Google it. I promise you can. Maybe one day we'll get into it more. So you could get away with doing this all on your own, including the road tuning and stuff. If you think you can't tune, yes, you can. You're not special. You can do it. I can do it. You can. <laughs> but if you have a newer car, uh, mostly this is cars after 05 to 07. They usually have something called a CAN bus in them, which you may have heard of. And uh, standalones are starting to support CAN buses more and more, but each vehicle and usually each frame of each vehicle, so like the Impreza may be a little different than the Forester, have different versions of their own CAN buses, their own flavors. Uh, and it's safe to assume right now, if you get a standalone, some stuff ain't gonna work. Older cars, you can make like my car, the factory, dash close, everything works in mine. Like if, if there was room for AC, that would work. If there was room for power steering, that would work. And in fact, I'm going to put power steering back into mine at some point. You're, you're driving that thing around with no power steering on a, on a yeah, standard rack. That, <laughs> yeah, that heavy ass front Subaru. Oh Those my forearms must be huge. 
Yeah, only the right one. Now, <laughs> the problem with the CAN bus, though, is is that, like, it, again, it's a reverse engineering effort, but uh, usually standalone ECU guys, they're like, listen, why do you why do you want your factory dash cluster to work? You're building a performance car. You have a standalone. You shouldn't care about that. This is that, off-road you know? only, guys, of course. It's off-road only, of course. We don't need to know <laughs> do your you mileage is from the factory <laughs> cluster. Uh, so that may not work. Now, we talked about how unpopular cars, like your Saab, may not be supported. Standalones will support a lot more. However, it's not about the car anymore that won't be supported. It's about the engine. Mm. Every standalone, and they support a ton of different engines. Like the one I use supports stuff from, you know, V12s all the way down to sport bike engines. Or rotary engines, even. I know Rotaries, Caltech yes. has that coverage for that as well. Yes, they do. But you're going to find odd ones out that maybe they don't support. Now, most standalone manufacturers... You can sometimes contact them and maybe they'll remote control your computer and sometimes they can update the firmware, like they'll send some logs from your PC to the to, to the boys in the lab and they'll write new code because, again, adding new stuff to the standalone ECU is very easy. Uh, they, they might be able just to add support to it. That's not unheard of, but wow. don't bank on it, you know? If you're asking for a real unpopular engine, they may just tell you, sorry, we're, we're not looking to support that engine. Nobody's going to use it. We don't want to put the time into fixing that. And we get that, you know? Uh, and the final limitation is most professional tuners, the, the dyno shops, they're working with flash tunes, HP tuners, access port, EFI live. That, that's normally what they're working is with flash tuning software. Yeah, they might be licensed uh, for, for a particular flavor, you know, like an APR yes. licensed shop might work only with Audi APR flash tune solutions. That's correct. It may be a licensing thing and it, it may be a knowledge thing knowledge too, because that's just kind of what they're used to. So if you're in an area that isn't heavy tuner focused, it's probably the best way to say it, where there's not a lot of tuner shops, uh, not a lot of pro tuning shops. Uh, if you call them and say, hey, I have a standalone that I would like you to tune, you're going to get usually one of two answers. The first <laughs> is they're just going to say no because they don't know how to, which is, you know, or maybe they'll try. Uh -huh. Uh, or they will support it and they're going to charge you more for your tune. Oh, um, because you're like... Yeah, you're at that level, and they're assuming that there's so much more customizable things and more time required to kind of yeah. build the wheel for you. And it depends It depends on the shop, because in general, whenever you call up a pro tuner shop and you say, I have a car with a standalone, it needs tuned, the, their first thought is normally they've got to get that thing to just run first. Yeah. If you tell them, look, it runs and drives and runs fine, I just need the ignition and the fueling touched up on the dyno because I don't have a dyno, they will probably charge you less maybe it depends on how human they are some of them just don't even bother to talk to you i uh, yeah. that's kind of the experience <laughs> that i've had around here a lot of the time but some of them are, are starting to talk to me a bit more uh you can also just figure out how to tune yourself um which is again you know this isn't impossible to learn and it's a good skill to have if you want to be into cars because then you unlock you know many many doors uh and then you can rent dyno time by the hour go and rent yourself a couple hours and just tune that all sounds like a lot but I have built more more cars than I can count at this point, and I've never needed a dyno tune because I'm just happy with what <laughs> I have already. Like they're like, "Hey, how much power does it make?" And I'm like, "I don't know." I'm like, yeah, race me. <laughs> if you race me and I beat you, I know it's at least 400 because you have 400. <laughs> I have no idea. No, you know, not really. But uh, so there's there's a lot that goes in, into you know there's there's a certain level of complexity that goes into owning a standalone it's in general a more expensive option and i wish it wasn't because it's by far the most accessible option because 
Let's pretend for a second that maybe Cobb explodes and you don't get to use them at all and your only other option is a standalone and you're stuck with all these caveats. Uh, at the very end of the day, your car will still run and drive, though. <laughs> maybe you don't get to use your factory dash cluster and you don't get to see how fast you're going or something. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it will at least run and drive and you can eventually work through alternatives. There's aftermarket dash clusters you can get for standalones and stuff that, that fix that. That's your uh, but, Drift Boy dash that you see in some videos you know there's just a little lcd display up on the steering column that's I think correct Haltech makes yes. their own Haltech makes their own they call it the race dash uh, link has their own most of them have their own version of it and now there's even some aftermarket ones that work with like any ecu out there or any standalone ecu and some factory ones to be fair more and more people are learning how this stuff works and getting into it. And I encourage more people to learn how this stuff works and play with it. Because at the end of the day, it's really hard to screw something up, you know? Now, and I guess that's something that I've harped on a lot, is that people should probably just try to learn to do this stuff, right? I've said multiple times today that you're not special, and neither am I. If I can do it, you can do it. It's really not that bad. And I genuinely mean that. Uh, there's... These these things, cars, have been around for over a hundred years, okay? Sure, they've evolved a little bit, but there's plenty of documentation on how they work, even with the newer computerized, newfangled oh, ones. Oh, Anybody can still do this. Computers, they can't trust them at all. Yeah. Nah, they're calling, <laughs> calling back to China or something. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there's, there's uh, a lot of seriously. misinformation. There's a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors. It's, it's really gating. Um, yeah. How, uh, especially... There, there's some tuner shops out there who will tell you that it's impossible for anybody to do it on their own and they shouldn't bother uh, and if they do find one that doesn't say that because it's that's not the case you can totally do this on your own and if you watch any amount of media on youtube or the like you'll see rednecks out there with the craziest <laughs> boosted shit boxes how do you think they got those to run they figured out the ecu tuning i did eric you're, you've they, already played with this. they did not flatbed their shit box to some pro tuner and pay four thousand dollars for a full wire up job and bass tune and then performance tune no 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 they pulled no, out they... their windows xp laptop and and got her done. <laughs> <laughs> they sure did, and they should, and and you should too, listener. Yes, because it's you. not that bad. Yes, you. But if I had, if I had one, if I had two pieces of advice to give to anybody who wants to get into tuning or wants to learn about tuning in general or wiring, the first is just go with a standalone. Unless you're maybe on a more liberated car like Subarus, they have the open source tuning option. Uh, which is another alternative to the Cobb, by the way. You can do what's called an open source tune, which is a very uh, cool yes, option that is very, very accessible. Uh, you could you can buy a $250 cable or cheaper if you look from China. You didn't hear that from <laughs> me. And uh, But you should buy the $250 one because the guys who put the work into this, they, they deserve it. And you can just download the software and do whatever you want. You can change fuel maps. You can turn your boost up. That's how I started. I just want to learn how to turn my boost up on my car, and I did. You could turn off codes if you wanted. It's all very, very accessible in the Subaru and the Mitsubishi world, the older ones. So, But in many cases, that's not. So maybe look into getting a standalone because the fact that the standalone is meant to be tuned means that there's a ton of documentation around that standalone to get you started. 
like you said, I, I have a Haltech ECU, and that's how I really got into this stuff is because their wiring diagrams just are so self-explanatory that I could get the thing running in a day, and I had no experience wiring a car before. And then they have all these guides on their website that tell you how to do all these different things. Like I was trying to figure out how to do fuel tuning and there's like, yeah, this is how you do it on the road. Uh, you take these data logs and it works really easy. So, which isn't the most in-depth stuff, but it's enough to get you going to know if you really are into this. But at that point, you'll already have had the ECU wired in and you've probably got it to fire up. Even if it runs like shit, take it to a tuner shop and they won't charge you as much because they didn't have to go through all that. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So the closer you get to being to a fully running and driving car, the less it costs. And the thing is, is if you stick with it and it's not that hard to stick with it, you don't have to pay anything other than the ECU. I never have. Actually, that's not true. I did at one point buy a course from like one of those online tuning schools, which was valuable. It was very good. Was it um, Horsepower Academy? It was HP Academy, yeah. yeah. I've, I've and I only just recently bought it. What, what I what I had recently... I looked into Evans Performance, by the way. They're pretty good, too. Uh, yeah. I went with HP Academy because um, they had a practical tuning series for being on the dyno. We've mentioned many times I've never been on the dyno, but I aspire to whenever I have time. I'll go there, but I've never actually tuned on a dyno, and I wanted not to know the differences versus doing it on the road, and they gave me some good stuff. That's why I bought it. To be clear, though... I've been doing this for longer than earlier this year. I never needed to buy that because all my cars have ran and drove fine without ever going near a dyno, without me ever paying for a course, and without me having really any knowledge of cars beforehand. Like, it, it hasn't been that long since there was a time that I couldn't even change my own oil. So <laughs> anybody's perfectly capable of doing this, and they should. I love that you bring that up, that the car scene is kind of newer for you. You've been hands-on with other projects uh, computers, microcontrollers, some cool things maybe we'll talk about in future episodes. But uh, you kind of just applied that yes-I-can attitude, and it's gotten you pretty far. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. And, and that's the thing is most people listening to this have probably wrenched on their own cars. Like, they've probably swapped an engine or two, plugged a couple wiring harnesses in. You're not that far from being able to, to tune on your own, and I, I promise that's true. Uh, and... What if you really write down? I'm gonna give everybody here a step to do right now, so that they can at least get the idea of tuning. This is the way that I knew that I wanted to buy a standalone. I had heard about Haltech before from I think it was a Mighty Car Mods video, I love and I'm like, oh, a standalone. <laughs> that sounds so much better, like uh, than having to deal with these factory ECUs. Now that Cobb has cut me off. <laughs> so. That was the real. Like that was these... the real break when they when they took away that open source factor, and and kind of locked it up in with uh, their own their own suite of software. Is that to understand that? Yeah, you know, that was the real break. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I saw like the Mighty Car Mods promoting Haltech, and I looked at their website, and I saw you can go to Haltech's website right now and download their tuning software and play with yes. it. They don't, you don't have to log in, right. you don't have to give them your email, you don't gotta do anything but go there and click download and install it. And they have a shit ton of base maps that you can just open up and play that with. That is so cool. You don't need the ECU to be clear. Mm -hmm. You don't even need a car. You just need a, 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 a laptop running Windows. You could be on an airplane, you could be learning exactly how the interface looks, what, what changes what. What's available. Yes. Yeah, that's really cool. That's great marketing, I guess you could call it. 
Yeah, you can go and download it whenever you want, and you should. This is, if you want to know, if you want to get into tuning, go to their website, go or whatever standalone you want. I'm saying Haltech, because that's the one that I know the most about, but maybe Link does this too. I know whenever I looked in the past, all the standalones, Link and Motag and HP, uh, uh, what's it called? Holly, Holly, uh, those are all a bunch of standalone manufacturers. I looked at... Those aren't the ones I necessarily looked at, but I looked at a bunch and they, they all were like making me log in or buy an ECU to download the software for some reason, which I just don't get. <laughs> they're not selling a, software. They're selling fucking ECUs. Let me download the damn software. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then Haltech, the reason I went with them is I went to their site and I downloaded their software and they're just like, yeah, here's a bunch of bass tunes. Open them and play with them. Like there's videos on that their YouTube great. channel saying to do that. Like they want you to do that and you should. Because there might be a base map for your car, like there was for WRXs for me, and I had a WRX engine in my car, kind of. <laughs> so I went and opened a WRX map, and I just started kind of pushing buttons and seeing how the software worked and looked at their stock wiring configurations in the ECU. And I'm like, I could do this. Why couldn't I do I this? This it. is pretty easy. Awesome. And in there, you can also see if your engine is supported in their software, too. If you have a strange engine, you can look it up right in the software because, you know, their website might say we support this engine. That's not always up to date. Uh, you can just check their software right then and there and see if your engine is in the list of supported. They call them triggers, by the way, if you wanted to check that. So that's everybody's homework for today. Go download <laughs> your a standalone ECU program, open up a base map, and you're going to have a lot of questions. Check the websites. I know Haltech has... They're like the program support. Whenever you hit the F1 button on your keyboard, the help file is immensely detailed. It's better than anything out there. Their website has a ton of help documentation on it to help you like understand what certain things do. And finally, their YouTube channel has very technical. That. Yes, it, it's very technical and non-bullshit. So check that out. And also, if you're not a Haltech person, check out all the other manufacturers. I've mentioned a bunch like Link and Holly and Motec. And of course, there's Megasquirt. Yeah. Check them out. They're really great. All of them are accomplishing the same goal, by the way. So like, by all means, check them out because, sure, I've mostly worked with Haltech, but I could step into the Megasquirt shoes whenever I wanted and, and play with that, too. Because at the end of the day, boys, it's just an engine. All right. These things have been around forever. You can do this. <laughs> I love that mentality, man. I really do. I want to point out one of my favorite things. I was watching a Helltech video, and it was a crazy, like, funny car, LS-based drag build. I think it was a, more of a vintage Corolla, like a tiny little speed rocket. And they were going over the functionality of the Helltech kind of applied to the vehicle. And they were doing boost by time. They would actually map the run down the drag strip and get comfortable with where the traction was on the track and then put that in as a map and it would dial in or dial out the boost based on the time from when the vehicle started moving. I think it was just, it would just start the clock um, when you unlock the transmission, you know, the, like an automatic transmission that you have like a line locker or something crazy like that. And as soon as that happened, it started running a set path of boost control so that it would roll into the boost at the right times and, and roll back. And maybe there was a, a bump in the track at a certain time. And they kind of knew where the car would be, and they used that to map boost. It's just one way to map boost. I thought that was really interesting. And that's the kind of cool stuff that Haltech has on their, their YouTube channel. Yeah, they have uh, one that... I've seen used a lot is boost by gear. Yeah, yeah. If you're in first gear, you're just going to spin. <laughs> but maybe second, you can handle a little more boost. So they do boost by gear, and you'll turn up your boost yeah. as you progress through the gears. You can, uh, yeah. 
one of the one of the dumber ones that I've done was on my girlfriend's Miata. It had a really weird issue with the alternator, which turned out to I think the diode pack being bad in the alternator. We just replaced it. But until then, whenever you'd kick the lights on, it would nearly stall the engine because the alternator would just place excessive load <laughs> on the engine, like way too much. But we still wanted to drive it, so I was able to tune the idle table versus battery voltage, so wow. <laughs> or, or, uh, alternator do alternator load. <laughs> so whenever the alternator would get loaded up, I would open the idle valve more <laughs> so we could not stall. Which you're not supposed keep to have your, to do. You keep you rolling. But in for the, the Miata's week. case, it was really weird. So I don't know. <laughs> That's great. Like let's let's not turn a wrench. Let's just get on the laptop. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's not hell yeah. It, and again, you can get away with murder with a standalone for things like that. But I think number one is the 85 and how, literally, just as long as you have your injectors, pump, and sensor. You just can check a box and it just works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember when I when I met you, you drove out on I don't know ninety three octane, put the corn in as you said eighty five, and made the changes on your laptop and drove home. Another was an hour and a half drive. Yep. Beautiful. I wasn't even worried. I, I <laughs> like I knew it would work. It's just it's that easy. That's cool. It really is cool. Awesome. Yep, and now I can run a mix of 93 or 85. I just hadn't turned it on before because I hadn't ran a 85 yet at that point. <laughs> and you, do you have uh, maps kind of in between? Do you have some kind of halfway maps or anything like that set up yet, or is it more all or nothing? Only uh, only for the ignition. Oh, okay. uh, the, the fueling is automatically calculated because it's a predictable curve for just you know how different it is. Got it. But yes, for my ignition, I do have... Yeah, I get a little more rowdy on the ignition. I, just to make it run a little better on the corn. I don't know if that if it's producing more. I mean, I'm sure it's producing more power just by nature, uh, but maybe not a ton. Once I get it on the dyno, though, I'll, I'll dial that in. Cool. Now, let me ask you this. Is your engine configuration with that standalone, is it using any closed-loop situations, or is it mostly a map um, that it follows oh, yes. based on... Many closed loops. My idle is closed loop, so that the idle is always perfectly at 900. Cool. Uh, obviously, the air-fuel ratio uh, it does is trim closed loop. Based on yes. feedback? Awesome. Yes, it does. I have uh, a wide band that I wired into the Haltex so that it can it can sniff my exhaust. Uh, I have, uh, for, for reference, my engine is a K24A2 in a Subaru body. Uh, and it has, the K24A2 has VTEC, which is either on or off, so nothing to close loop there. But it also has a variable intake yes. cam on top of that, yes, and, and that has to advance yes. or retard a certain number of degrees. Well, how does the ECU know how far it is? It has a sensor. So if it accidentally advances it too much, it has a closed loop learning system even, where it will not only make the changes to fix it now, but it remembers the changes, just like the air-fuel ratio stuff. And the idle. The idle has a learning feature as well. And that's something, you know, with a standalone, it's open to those inputs and outputs being required if you were to you would never do this but if you're trying to put that engine on a subaru ecu you would have damn oh, damn near no way to <laughs> to play with that without it could never even very never serious even custom customizations and i don't think there's enough outputs for that inputs outputs no. now and that's not to say that you couldn't run like a, a stock honda ecu with honda mm -hmm. that's possible and they got some good stuff going on just like Cobb yeah. does. honda yeah. is there even further ahead of Cobb in some cases like my gosh it's excellent yeah, k pro they got yeah. some good stuff over there and the community is great the, the availability of, of maps and things like that on their uh it is pretty expensive is, though is yeah uh, it's not cheap you're, you're paying for it 
and again, it's it's pretty flexible, but not as flexible as a standalone. Baby. Right. Yeah, you, you got way more for going for you with the standalone. Right, right. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to see kind of how you have that set up. I'd like to do a ride along and, and watch some of the VTech stuff, see how that functions. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, actually, so two weeks ago, I finally turned VTech on, which was. I was going to ask you. I didn't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> didn't want to go there. I did. Awesome. I did. I, I have that and intake cam timings. You're uh, using the, I fixed all my oil leaks, angle. and I'm like, I've, I did my good boy this deed. Guy I, gets things done. I fixed my oil leaks, so now I'm going to make it go faster. You've got to have and good I oil pressure to do VTech. <laughs> yes. So I, uh, I I got them all. I got all that fixed up. I turned them both on. And they both just worked out of the box. But I, I took a video that I sent to my friends. It's like, you ever heard what happens when you advance your cam by 26 degrees at idle? <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> and I f- turned it all the way up. And it's it was like, blah, 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 blah. You know, it was not happy. But it was loping. It was loping like a like a camped car would because it's essentially, you know, it's very close yeah. to what a camped car yeah. is at that point. Like, I also turned VTEC on at idle, which again, it was not happy, but it's hilarious <laughs> to me. And to do that, you just check a box in the software. And it's all real time. So, it's all real time. Like it just immediately, cool. like you actually see in the video, I type the number 26 and hit enter and it just starts idling like shit. And that's shit. the 26 <laughs> degrees past zero, the yep. cam angle. It is cam, it cam angle advance. It's very, it's very it. funny. Uh so you could also goofball. Oh, and everybody wants a crackle tune, right? They want those burbles and Snap, stuff. Crackle, yeah, you pop. can just do that too. Good. That's like a checkbox. Like the guys at Helltech are like, okay, fine. It's not a checkbox. It's just you just set the map up that oh, way. You just like, it. okay, make it. Yeah. Run like rich or ignition. Uh, probably, <laughs> yeah. Ignition. It's probably rich with a uh, really. Actually, it's lean. You'll oh, make. You'll want to make it lean with a uh, really, really uh, <laughs> retarded timing wow. whenever you're under D cell. So. Yes. So I think we've covered a lot of great material here. I really appreciate you kind of taking the lead here, John, and sharing your experience with both from the Cobb world into the standalone world and, and perhaps back again someday. I would like to talk about piggyback equipment in a future episode, perhaps. I'm really fascinated by the JB4 community. That might, might not be something you've dived in. When I was looking at Hyundai's and, and that world, the JB4 stuff is pretty wild what they can do with the piggyback touch on that another day perhaps but uh until next time thanks for listening everyone and this has been episode one we're up and rolling here we're going to be publishing to a couple other platforms right now we're live on spotify and uh, we're hoping to push to apple and google in the near future thanks for listening to us if you'd like to share this podcast with a fellow gearhead or car tool of sorts please do john it's been a pleasure Thank you, Eric. And thank you, everybody, for listening. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks again.